But you go to work to be able to to do the things you love. And sometimes you can, and, and ideally you want to love your work too. I mean, I, I love flying helicopters. If I were young and healthy, I would do it all over again. But it's not just to go to work and spend all your time at work. It's to be able to have the ability to go back and do the things you truly enjoy, enjoy with your family and your friends. And, and when you as a leader grasp that, um, the whole person concept, if you will, that that person coming to work isn't just there in my case to, to turn wrenches on helicopters or to fly helicopters. That's all well and good. And we all loved what we did, but I, but, but the bigger purpose in life is, as Travis said, is, is, uh, I think you said that, you know, your biggest mission or purpose in life is at the dinner table or the family table, how you're going to, um, treat your family, how you're going to raise your children, uh, that sort of thing. Welcome to the Improvement Nerds Podcast, where we host conversations about the things that nerd us out with one goal in mind, sharing best practices and sharing techniques and tools that allow us to make lasting change. In each episode, we'll feature a different idea and hopefully through that episode, give you a set of new tools, new skills, and new thinking that'll allow you to change how you do your work, how you lead others, and how you show up in your life. We're so excited that you've chosen to nerd out with us. We hope that these episodes are exactly the things that you need to hear in order to get started in making the improvements that you want to see happen in the world. If these episodes speak to you, please subscribe to our podcast, like what we're doing, and leave a comment. Choose things and you choose organizations that fit what you think um, are going to work for you. And as I was stumbling into what I was going to grow into in my early 20s, I chose the Army. And and I I found that I really enjoyed being around other leaders who wanted to serve others. And I learned from that. Most anything that's written about servant leadership, humility is a a key part of it. Um, Self-awareness is another key part of it. And I would tell you, I would tell any leader that the self-awareness is the foundation. You got to know who you are, whether it's your communication style, whether it's what motivates you. And, you know, I don't know if you, I'm sure you've taken one or more assessments, whether it's Myers-Briggs or DISC or there's so many of them. And I got to tell you, I think that those things are extremely valuable. And, and if you're not self-aware and you're not honest with yourself, um, you just, it, it's, I, I think it's impossible to be a good leader if you can't admit your own mistakes. Margaret Mead said it best when she shared that one should never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, that it was the only thing that ever had. I couldn't agree more. Let's get busy, Improvement Nerds. we got a lot of work to do. Morning, Improvement Nerds. This is Tom. I'm back with another episode of the Improvement Nerds podcast. Today is Tom Day. So you've got myself and you've got Tom Kriya. Um, today, Tom and I, were going to be having a lot of fun. We're going to be addressing an important topic. Um, one of the topics that I was exposed to kind of after business school and when I was working in leadership and as I adopted this mindset and started to apply it in the way I did my work, I just benefited so much, not from you know, just uh, being more effective, but actually enjoying the experience of being a leader. So I've always known this to be important. There's a lot of gaps in my my training and my development on the topic. So I sought out Tom, uh, expert in this topic, 
and invited him on the show. And he's a lot of fun. I think you guys are going to enjoy hearing his stories and the examples that he brings to us on this episode. So, ladies and gentlemen, I welcome Tom. Let's go, Tom. All right. So, I want to kind of set the stage and get that topic out there. I teased it a little bit as I opened up the episode, but what what is it that we're going to be nerding out about today, Tom? The topic is servant leadership. Awesome. I can't wait to dive into that topic with you today. Before we kind of peel back the layers uh, on servant leadership, I want to hear a little bit about your backstory and the journey that you've had along the way to become passionate about servant leadership. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, you know, as I, I look back and I, I was thinking about how I was going to respond to you on this, and in, in many ways, I stumbled into it. I mean, if I go all the way back to high school where, you know, I was playing high school sports and I was a captain of a team here or there. And then uh, the path that took me into college was uh, one of the things that I, I did was ROTC. And because I had a scholarship and all that sort of thing. And I, you know, that's really where I learned um, to be of service to others. Now we didn't call it servant leadership back when I started college in the late seventies, 1979. Um, but if you think about it, all of the services, whether it's the army, Navy, air force, Marines, you know, they're called services for a reason. And one of the values for the army was, uh, was selfless service. And we had this acronym LDR SHIP, go figure. We had an acronym for everything. So leadership, Loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. And so as I, as you know, you, you kind of choose things and you choose organizations that fit what you think um, are going to work for you. And as I was stumbling into what I was going to grow into in my early 20s, it cho- I chose the Army. And, and I, I found that I really enjoyed being around other leaders who wanted to serve others. And I learned from them. So that's kind of the 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 one over the world, if you will, backstory, the high level view. Um, so go ahead. Great. So um, I, I think a lot of people that I've had on the episode and myself especially have kind of stumbled into the things that they've become passionate about. Maybe mm-hmm. it was present and it was always there, but maybe a little bit dormant until you your life and that topic. Um, found each other and you know once that occurs that seems like everything feels natural and it's like you're in the groove and uh, for me when it came to leading change and helping individuals um, solve problems like I had no idea that that was you know a profession that that's what individuals did for a career I just knew it was important and I knew that I liked it and you know, the doors just opened because I kind of continued to to forge ahead. So I'm curious, in your journey, you kind of said that was one of those things you stumbled into. What were some of those intersections where it just kind of felt like, hey, this is this is it. This is where I want to invest my life and my career and spend energy growing in this field. Yeah, that's interesting. As you were as you were talking, I, I was reflecting back on. I mean, I was reflecting. First of all, where I am right now, I mean, I'm at a point in my life where uh, my passion is coaching my kids in sports. And and I think um, all of us, 
a lot of what we end up, not a lot. Yeah, yeah, I guess a lot. I mean, you get to this fork in the road and you meet somebody and, and either they turn you on or turn you off to a profession. So I'll start with that as the, the, the segue into where I'm going. You know, when I, when I started, you know, I, I had a good, I grew up a big fish in a little pond, let's say, a very small high school. So um, I, I had a lot of uh, what we'd call confidence and self-esteem, which I think every person needs to have. And I got into college, and I, and I got to tell you, I was humbled because uh, here I am. I'm around uh, a, no, a lot more people. Uh, I'm just realizing that I, I'm not a big fish in a, a little pond anymore. I'm kind of a little, I'm a little guppy in, in, this, in this ocean. Well, I found my niche in ROTC, and so you, everybody finds their little small communities where they're going to thrive and excel, and, and I did very well, and I go through the four years of college in ROTC, and I'm doing very well. I'm doing very, very well in my very first month in the Army, in what, what we call the basic course. I was in the infantry officer's basic course, and I we had these peer evaluations, and I get rated in the top third of my platoon, and then in the second month, we have an exercise, and... Um, you know, if you were to, to go on my LinkedIn uh, articles, you would find these stories that I'm getting ready to share with you. We have this exercise and it's a road march. And the long and the short of it is I get humbled. And I, it was, a, it was a tough lesson for me to learn. And I got knocked off my horse. And I, I end up going from the top third of my platoon to the middle third. And then, then in our in the next month, there's another exercise, and again, you could read about it. And I get humbled again, and now I get bounced from the middle third to the bottom third, and I finish my very first course in the army in the bottom third of my peer group. And it's very frustrating. It's very humbling. And then I go off to flight school, and and I and I try to you know muster up all my courage and confidence again. And I was doing. I was doing okay and in pretty well, but I didn't do as well as I would have liked. And I ended up starting my career, uh, not flying the Black Hawk helicopter, which I ended up later on, but flying the UH-1 Huey, which was like, you know, the second best. And so again, I get humbled, but I meet this along the way in that very first assignment, a, a guy that I consider a friend and my mentor a friend today and a mentor at the time. And even if I needed to have a mentor, I, I could still reach out to him. But his name was uh, Lieutenant Colonel Mike Pulliam. And he was the epitome of what I believed an army officer should be. And I think everybody, whatever your career or profession is, is you, you want to find and meet people like that, that can help and guide you along the way. And, and they serve as a role model. And he was, he was that person. He was a role model. Uh, he was somebody that you can talk to and get good advice and he really cared about people. And, and so that's where I would say without knowing what I was getting into, I wanted to be able to be like him. I wanted to be able to serve the people that reported to me, if you will. I don't like to say work for, because I don't think we work for other people. I think we should be work as a team, but you know, let's face it. People report to other people in a, in a, uh, organizational chain. Um, but again, the, the spirit should be more of a teamwork thing and serving others. So, so that's my answer to your first question. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing that. And I think individuals who, you know, are finding their happiness path or growing along the way, it isn't always uh, upside, right? There's humbling experiences, there's gaps in your thinking, there's important lessons. 
that you have to learn. My dad always said you can't really teach what can only be learned. So mm-hmm. oftentimes, you know, putting a person in an environment where it's, it's safe to fail and in that failure, they have the opportunity to collect great insights and grow through those. Uh, so it sounds like part of your journey was a little bit of both of those things where things came naturally. And then there was also wake up calls, but it sounded like the, the, the biggest part was meeting an individual who maybe saw the best in you and wouldn't, wouldn't allow you to not realize that potential. And I, I think so many people on their journeys, um, I don't know, I've not met very many who could say I did this all on my own. You know, it's it's typically the result of a mentor or a coach or a community of people that embrace that person and and really encourage that person to strive to to continue to, you know, change their thinking or grow into a role or try to become a better person. And it sounds like you had that individual in your path. Yeah, and I would argue that he, it wasn't just that he took care of me, it was anybody who crossed his path. And so, you know, here I am, a young lieutenant in the Army, starting my career, and I'm thinking, man, I want to be like him. Uh, and I had another gentleman like that when I was in ROTC too. But so that, so that's the thing, as I met, I met somebody in ROTC, it's like, man, I want to be like him. And then I meet him, Mark, Mike Pulliam, I'm like, I want to be like him. And I got to tell you, you know, you, you, you as you're talking, you know, it, it's unfortunate, you know, and I haven't had that same. Uh, fortune, if you will, is to come across such a great person like Mike in every part of my life. And uh, for instance, you know, when I finished that first assignment, it was, I was there for 23 months and I go back to the United States and I, and I get my transition to the Black Hawk helicopter and I had to go back to Korea in order to get that transition. And now I'm back to the same battalion, if you will, um, an organization with 650 people. And Mike's not there anymore. His replacement is. And this guy is a totally different leader. And I and I and I now I'm a senior lieutenant and I'm about to be a captain. And I can just see the 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 life gets sucked out of some of the junior leaders because they're getting discouraged. They they're they're seeing this guy who is the head of the organization. And they they feel like they're being micromanaged and they're not having fun. And and I just feel so blessed that in my first experience, I was like, no, it's not always this way. I'll do my best to show you what I learned, um, but I have to do it within the confines of what a what a lesser leader is trying to communicate. And and so unfortunately, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you get to this fork in the road and maybe you get a good mentor and maybe you don't. Um, and that's that's a matter of luck. Um, but in the case where let's just say you're a person who had the benefit of being around a good leader. Um, I would argue that a servant leader, and, and this is something again that I stumbled into, I felt like it was naturally my responsibility to do everything I could to make the lives of the people who were disgruntled because of the experiences they were having in the beginning. And, and to let them know that it's not always this way. It's just this happens to be this guy. And the great thing about the Army is that the commands are only like a couple of years. And so the commander would change out and um, and you would get a different leader every two years. And, and, and I just kind of felt like my role was to, to give the other uh, people in the unit hope that things are going to get better. You're going to go to a different assignment and get a better leader. And I would argue that I only really had, 
you know, in my 20 year career, I had two or three bosses that I just didn't feel were good bosses. And I think comparing and contrasting the two different leadership styles, because you knew what good looked like, you had an aspiration or you had uh, a role model that you were trying to emulate in some ways or were motivated to be more alike. And and because that experience, when you were in an environment where that leader didn't live up to those standards or maybe practice those standards in a different way that were different from how you thought they could be, it challenged you to, to activate that part of of yourself is to become the informal leader to fill in those gaps for that individual. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, let me just share with you one example of one lesson I learned from from Mike. So when I first got to Korea, and this is 1984, I'm at this this airbase, K-16 airbase for, I think it was nine months. And, um, and I just asked my boss what I should do next. And along the short of it, he said, go work on the battalion staff. So now I'm on the battalion staff, which is about 15 miles away in Yongsan, which is a suburb of Seoul. And, um, so I'm on that staff there. And one day, you know, I'm on his entourage and not one place, but he had four different locations, all, none of them co-located and, and everywhere I went, he knew people by their first name. So one day I finally get the opportunity. I'm, I'm going to, we go on a night vision goggle flight and he and I are returning. And it's just the two of us. And I said, sir, how is it you remember so many people's names? And, you know, cause I'm walking in these entourage. I was back at the place that I had been for nine months and we're walking by people and he's calling them by their first name. And I didn't even know their last name. And I thought, wow, what a failure on my part <laughs> to have been here all this time and to not know the people I was working with. And and I just asked him, how do you know? He said, well, I just made a conscious effort. And I got to tell you, that lesson always stuck with me. And everywhere I've been in charge or, you know, I have a group of people, whether I'm coaching a team or whether it was in the army, I wanted to make it a point to know their names because names are important to people. And it's a little thing, but it's not a little thing, if you know what I mean. Exactly. It's definitely in uh, your education or any books you might read you know that that thing is those smaller things oftentimes aren't spotlighted right so calling addressing people by their first names um knowing and having insights about who that person is and what they do on the weekend or what their hobbies or interests might be so i had a, a similar leader who you know we we were a smaller team we were 16 people and this individual you know, at the start of the day, he, he would ask questions about the, his team's family, you know, what, what's going on with, you know, Carolyn, that's my wife, you know, he'd be, you know, oh, I know Carolyn did a triathlon this weekend. How did that go? And what was that like? So, you know, he, he didn't just know me, but he knew um, beyond me and who my family was. And that was definitely something that I really admired in him and and challenged myself to to do for the teams that I was leading and more of it although the teams were more informal we were a project team but those individuals were spending a lot of time with me during their work week to get a project done and I wanted to make sure that time together was well spent and that we invested in a relationship and that we got to know each other so why do you why we why did that make 
make such a difference to you? Why was that so important to you? I, I, I don't mean to put you in the spot, but I, I'd like to hear your response. And then, of course, I'll give you well, why I think that it's so important. Yeah, uh, I think we were young and we were going through, Carolyn and I were going through a lot of change. We were starting our family and, you know, we were pretty selfish uh, as college athletes and stuff. We would run on the weekends and take naps and do whatever we wanted to do. And as we transitioned to become parents, you know, we had to de-emphasize some of those parts. We, we never gave up running. We just changed the reason why we ran. Mm-hmm. And in that transition, you know, he role modeled the importance of family. And he would say things like the most important work you're ever going to do is around your dinner table. So not only did his name's Travis, he's still uh, one of my mentors and best friends. He he would just role model that this work does not define you. You know, while you're here, I want to invest in you new ways in thinking and new confidence in yourself so that you can be effective here. But mostly what I'm concerned about is how effective you are at home because the work you have to do for those three boys, um, that supersedes what you got to do here. So he he really helped create boundaries to say, you know, I'm not going to take from you the opportunity to um, have meaning. Uh, you know, I want to empower you and I want you to have fun here, but I don't want to drain your batteries to the point where you can't go home and, you know, be the father that you're meant to be. So he just kind of saw me as a whole person mm-hmm. that it was at a pivotal point because I was le- living somewhat of a fragmented life of, you know, I'm husband, Tom and work, Tom, I'm new father, Tom, I'm athlete, Tom, and they were all compartmentalized. And he kind of forced all those things together to say, no, that you're one person and you can't just take on and off a hat and pretend that, you know, before you came to work, one of the kids was sick and that kid right now is on your mind. Like that's reality kids get sick. And while you're here, I want you to be able to think about and make sure that, you know, that kid's health is being taken care of and you can be present with that. He's, you know, so that was just really, um, new and fresh. Cause that, those things, they don't, like I said, in, in your education and upbringing, I have a business degree that wasn't part of leadership it was focusing on the importance of family or role modeling that. Yeah, well, let me first say that uh, Travis is a wise man, and and I I want to put my coach's head on because I love the coach, and I want to I want to make sure the any listener who who heard what you say walks away with with the uh, I mean everything you said was accurate, but I want to make sure that they, the takeaways they understand, particularly if they're in a leadership role. Um, uh, I'll try to to avoid the what you learned about leadership and management school because I don't believe they're same the same. So we won't go into that conversation. But the point that's the points that you made um, for all the listeners are number one, you didn't go to work because you love to work. You go to work to earn a paycheck to support your hobby. And if it's an ideal world, whether your hobby being running and napping, <laughs> um, um, which you know, I I had that I was doing triathlons when I was younger and, and I love doing that too. Um but you go to work to be able to, to do the things you love. And sometimes you can, and, and ideally you want to love your work too. I mean, I, I love flying helicopters. If I were young and healthy, I would do it all over again, but it's not just to go to work and spend all your time at work. It's to be able to have the ability to go back and do the things you truly enjoy, enjoy with your family and your friends. And, and when you as a leader grasp that, um, 
the whole person concept, if you will, that that person coming to work isn't just there, in my case, to, to turn wrenches on helicopters or to fly helicopters. That's all well and good. And we all loved what we did. But I but but the bigger purpose in life is, as Travis said, is, is uh, I think you said, that, you know, your biggest mission or purpose in life is at the dinner table, at the family table, how you're going to um, treat your family, how you're going to raise your children, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and I was overwhelmed, like, you know, with, with new children, you know, first child, you, the learning curve is quite steep. And, it, it, you know, being a person who um, excelled in things and wanted things to come easy, it was frustrating. And I was putting a lot of pressure on myself. And, you know, so he just kind of de-escalated that situation too, to, to help me embrace that, you know, um, being present and being authentic and trying is really all that matters as a parent. And I was, you know, so I, that allowed me to kind of zoom out a little bit too, and, um, give myself a little bit of grace. And that I think was, that was probably the biggest takeaway is Travis has, has a leader, this unique ability to, to afford whoever he's talking to, um, the opportunity to give themselves grace. Like he, he's just so easygoing. Um, he's very, um, savvy. Like he's very business savvy. He's, he's a very smart person, but you know, the, all that savviness really isn't what defines him. What it is, is that defines him is the grace that he has for himself and how he lives his life. He encourages people to practice grace for themselves too. It's like, Hey, we're not perfect. We're all trying our hardest here. Let's just, you know, uh, support each other and embrace each other and make an impact. Great. That's yeah, exactly. And so, and I think talking about him and talking about any of those leaders that we've had along the way that have really um, elevated us, they, those individuals were servants. And mm-hmm. I, li- I like to talk about the, the servant leaders that I've been able to learn from and that have seen the best in me. And so thanks for asking about Travis and thanks for sharing the stories about the servant leaders that you've been um, graced with and have been able to learn from, I, I think they're definitely worth celebrating. And, and the, the topic of servant leadership is definitely one that I want to dive deep on and help individuals that if they too want to aspire to be like the people we just talked about, one, you have to realize that it's a journey and there's a lot of avenues for you to grow into that role. You know, I've talked a, a little bit about my education and what I learned from the books. It was likely that these things were in here. It's just, I was so young and I didn't have enough experience to truly understand what the written word was trying to tell me. I had a lens and I just, um, didn't have the experience. So, you know, I took that book education and I tried to apply it to real life. And really it was the hands-on experience that was probably the better teacher. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let, let's, let's kind of dive into and talk about some of those life experiences that you've had or you've seen along the way now that um, have helped you grow in your understanding of servant leadership. And let's dive into some of those key takeaways of what is servant leadership? How do people role model it and grow into that role? Well, you know, if I if I rewind back to those two stories that I told you where I go from the top third to the middle third to the bottom third, you know, the key takeaway that I learned in those scenarios were, were essentially was humility. And if you look at um, most anything that's written about servant leadership, humility is a is a key part of it. 
Um, Self-awareness is another key part of it. And I would tell you, I would tell any leader that the self-awareness is the foundation. You got to know who you are, whether it's your communication style, whether it's what motivates you. And, you know, I don't know if you, I'm sure you've taken one or more assessments, whether it's Myers-Briggs or DISC, or there's so many of them. And I got to tell you, I think that those things are extremely valuable. Um, because they they give you some insight into who you are. So so let's just talk about and isolate self-awareness for a moment or two here. And there's another one. Um, there's a new assessment. It's not really called an assessment. It's called a character development tool. And I, when I was doing my podcast, I had the privilege of interviewing the authors of a book called Above the Line. It came out just this past January, and it's by uh, Stephen and Mara Klemek, and they wrote this book, Above the Line, and they're also the founders of a this character development tool called Heart Styles. And one of the things that I thought was extremely unique, now, like I said, I've taken so many assessments over the past several decades. Uh, I'm probably older than most of the listeners here, but I've taken these different assessments and this character development tool actually showed me some insights about myself that I really hadn't seen before. And I thought I'd been around the pattern, or as we would say in aviation, uh, or pattern around the block several times already. But um, in this particular character assessment tool or development tool, the, the there are four quadrants and the there are two on the top above the line like the book which are love and humility and the ones that are below the line are pride and fear and so you have love is the opposite of love would be the um um fear what well, yeah fear and the the opposite of humility would be pride and what this um, particular tool does is it shows you and, and you know none of us none of us are that um, let's just say you take a snapshot in your life and, and let's just say you're being prideful today it doesn't mean that you're always that way and it doesn't mean you always have to be that way and what this what this tool does it kind of highlights how you tend to be in your in the current tense or the present tense and what your ideal self would be and and it also helps you try to find a way to well how do i work on these places where i'm less of who i want to be when i'm below the line and how do i get to the parts where i'm above the line and there are there are eight different categories you know so four for each quadrant and you know there are four above the line four below the line so there are these eight pairs that where you can either be above or below the line and i really just I just find that book and that tool extremely um, useful. And I would encourage any person who is interested in that book um, or in that tool or in self-awareness is to explore that book and that tool. There's, as you'd shared, there are an abundance of tools that individuals are able to partake in and benefit from. You know the ones you've listed, Disc and Myers Briggs. There's Strength Finders. There's a book on emotional intelligence. So there's an EQ analysis. There's uh, an innovation profile that's out there uh, that I had featured before. I, I benefited a lot from that one and learned that when it comes to change, I improvise. And there's certain other profiles that like to plan. 
Uh, there's other types that, you know, exist and just having that awareness of where I like to be and where others like to be, you know, that's kind of that next layer is who, who are you, but then how do you have appreciation for the profiles of the people that surround you? So we've got self-awareness, but then also uh, awareness of, of others. So there's a lot of tools out there for self-awareness and I've not heard of above the line. I'm, I'm excited to uh, dive into that one. The one that really, for me, kind of brought it all together was the Enneagram. Are you familiar with the Enneagram, Tom? You know, I've heard of it, but I have not, uh, other than hearing of it, that's all I know. And by the way, Above the Line is the book and Heart Styles is the- Heart Styles. Yeah, go ahead. So no, the Enneagram, I only, I've heard of it, but I don't, I haven't any experience with it. I I think that one really, talks about who you are has an authentic and whole person you know you've got your social self and then you have your authentic self and your social self is kind of the 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 behaviors you formed over time in order to fit in whether that was as a child or as a student or as an athlete it's these adaptations that have occurred over your life to fit in that have kind of muted your authentic self. And it's just kind of identifying and studying those things to say, Hey, is that, is that behavior really me? Or is that a behavior I've adopted as a survival mechanism? And I learned through that, you know, I unpacked it, unpacked a lot of my beliefs uh, on a variety of different topics and was able to kind of assess, Hey, is, is that something that I've adopted? because I wanted to fit in or um, it was less abrasive than what I really thought. Enneagram was one of those that really helped. And it sounds like heart styles is another one of those things that it's going to lead you to these ahas that you probably never would have uncovered through some of these other tools. Yeah. I just think that you're going to learn something from every tool. And, you know, if we were to, you know, as I as I reflect and I go back to say books I've read that um, were really impactful. And when it comes to the whole self awareness thing, I can't think of a better book than uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Because in that book, he, he one of the things he does talk about is this, I don't know if it's a circle or a quadrant, but um, he has uh, these four areas where you really need to focus on in your life. And one of them is your physical. One of them is your intellectual. Uh, or I think he might call it mental. And then the other one is uh, spiritual. And the, the fourth one is social. And and I, there's a, he starts off with three chapters where he's talking about, you know, what it is to be um, independent and knowing yourself. And then the next three chapters are about being interdependent and working with others. And then the seventh chapter is about sharpening your saw and just keeping that cycle going. So, you know, when you asked me, you know, to, to, to do a deep dive and self-awareness, I would, I would tell you that, um, that, that book, if any, if, if you haven't read the book, that is a bestseller. It's been a bestseller for so long for a very good reason. Um, and go ahead. Yeah, the, the, I read it and benefited from it and kind of came up with um, perspective on on my role as a change leader was, you know, self, others, 
uh, teams. So others would be that interconnectivity, you and one other individual, and then teams would be you and many other individuals. But then beyond that, you have organizations. And then beyond the organization, you have the community and the customers that the organization serves. So, you know, by starting with you, that lays a strong foundation for you to then work across that spectrum and to truly make an impact at a very large scale. You have people making movements, individuals, one person who shares an idea or stands up and, and advocates for something they believe in and gives other people's agency and builds a community around an idea, you know, through those efforts, great things are happening. So when I read that book, it really laid out what that would look like is what are some of the things you can do along that spectrum that allows you to accelerate change through others. And thanks for bringing that book up. Uh, It's come back up in my life again, because we're here in the Midwest and my son goes to a school that uses the leader in me curriculum and they teach him how to put first things first and they teach him how to synergize and how to sharpen the saw and practice good leadership. And they give not just him those tools, but they actually give family, the family, the resource to talk with the child about certain behaviors. Um, you know, for example, roughhousing in the car or taking your seatbelt off and stuff like we can talk to him and say like, you know, is that practicing or role modeling good leadership and setting strong examples for your younger brothers who are watching you and will do what you do. And so, you know, it's, it gives you tools, it gives you a framework, it gives you a dialogue to have conversations along that chain spectrum. And I'm glad that I'm, they're starting to, to deploy it into elementary schools. I think it is super cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for the, for anybody who is listening, uh, you know, you, Tom mentioned uh, first things first, the leader in me, these are all part of the Covey school. Um, if you don't mind, I want to jump into, you know, you, you asked me to do a deep dive into servant leadership and, in, 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 you know, self-awareness, like I said, is the, the, the most fundamental thing in, in, in that self-awareness you know, on the left side, I would tell you the things about being on the personal side are, are humility. There's th- three things I want to share with you. Humility, uh, listening, and empathy. Those are th- things that you as an individual can work on. And and I told you a couple stories about uh, humility that I learned. Um, but you, you have to be self-aware to be able to recognize, you know, okay, yeah, I guess I didn't do a good job here. And that's why I got uh, drop down a peg. And that's why I got dropped down a peg again. And, and if you're not self-aware and you're not honest with yourself, um, you just, it, it's, I, I think it's impossible to be a good leader if you can't admit your own mistakes. And then, so that's on the individual side. And, and, and then on the, the other side, we have, uh, the ability to develop others, um, uh, another one is called stewardship or what I would call responsibility. And, you know, ultimately it goes to, can we build a community? And it takes a lot of skill to be in a leadership role. And these are, I would call servant leadership traits, but some people would, you know, define them in in another way, like just like all these different assessment tools, you know, they skin the cat, however they choose. And if you don't call it servant leadership, that's fine. But the, the, the fundamental principles are the ones that are important. The ones that I mentioned, like listening, empathy, humility, 
developing others, you know, responsibility, stewardship, and, you know, building the community. And the only way you can do that is as a leader is to, every time you interact with somebody on your team, just like Travis did with you, is to look at that whole person and realize that, hey, if I want to have that person be a contributing member of the team that I'm responsible for leading, then I really need to, to engage their heart, mind, and soul. So I, I just wanted to share that before I forgot to tell you that. I, I'm so glad you unpacked those things. And this is, about, serving leadership is a broad topic and there's a lot of books. What And we can hit on some resources you'd recommend. And obviously you're in this space as well. And there's coaches that are out there that are helping to develop others to be more servant leaders uh, or act in a more servant leader capacity. I think one of those things that I found to be pretty interesting is humility is oftentimes letting your guard down, letting your, letting go of your ego and admitting that you've made a mistake or when facing uncertainty, you don't have the answer. And I think that's, Sometimes people see that as weakness, and I think that that is far from the truth. That is actually strength, because when you practice leadership in that way, you actually open the door and you invite input from the people around you, and that is community building. I've seen leaders who, when facing uncertainty, and there's a lot of it right now, um, they, you know, come forward with the solution and they won't, they aren't able to hear other people's ideas because they're so invested in their solution and they just want people to follow their idea. And they think that that's getting things being decisive and getting things done quickly. And I'm not, not saying don't do that because there are situations in which that has to happen, but there's also situations in which you need to be open and have a conversation about what you do know and what you don't know and invite others to help contribute to that that picture and to share their ideas. And I think when you lead in that way, individuals um, benefit from trust and collaboration. Yeah, there are a couple of things you said. I'm going to try to, to recap a couple of things. When you were talking about humility, you know, another way that's uh, portrayed is uh, if you've heard of Brene Brown, she talks about vulnerability. And the way she said it, which really resonated with me was, you know, what you see as let me see if I can paraphrase it the right way. What you see as um, I don't know, being very, very, very difficult on the inside, and you're not willing to to risk showing who you are, is seen as courage by the people on your team. So that was one of the things that you were talking about that I wanted to address. And the other thing that you were talking about was um, how you know you want the people on your team to be engaged. And I got to tell you, when I was in a leadership role, I would rather the ideas never come from me. And here's why. So imagine, Tom, that you were on my team and and I could come up with an idea and say, hey, I want us to do this. Or I can say, hey, Tom, how do you think we should do this? And now it becomes your idea. And you say, oh, I like that idea. Um, And and maybe I don't like it 100%. And I say, well, what, what about this and, and that gets you to adjust your position and as long as your position is at least 80 percent or more of what i really wanted in the end um i said okay let's go and present this to the rest of the team well guess what instead of me saying to the team hey we're going to do this and i look around and see who wants to support it 
I use the other approach. Hey team, we're going to do this. And I, I look around and because I've already talked to you about it and I wouldn't do this with just you, I would, I would get enough buy-in to, to, you know, to build a coalition, if you will. I don't know how to say that, but uh, to get enough synergy to say that two or three people raised their hand and agreed with the concept before I presented a new concept to the team of, say, 10 or 15 people. If I had you and two or three others who had already talked to, and I, we would say grease the skids in, in aviation um, so that we'd land smoothly, I, I would do that. I don't need the idea to be mine. What I need is for everybody to work together and cooperate. And if it's your idea, you're gonna you're gonna lead the charge, and that's what I need. And I need two or three people just like you to do the same thing. Yeah, and that's uh, um, an effective method for change management. But outside of all that, that is really, as I said, it's maximizing that individual. And you know, you had said that a key role of a servant leader is to develop others. That that is giving people ownership and empowering them and encouraging them to trust their own ideas, that is tremendous development. Yeah, I mean, if we go back to the reason you're there is because you want to do something for your family or you want to be able to to provide for your family. But while you're there, the one thing that everybody wants, well, the first thing they want to be is be treated with dignity and respect. And the second thing is they want to be able to learn and grow. Those are the individual sides of things. Collectively, we all we all want to be we all want our contributions to matter and we all want to be a part of a winning team. And so when you can tap into those motivations of the people on your team and say, okay, well, how are you? You're you, Tom, in those assignments, you were learning and growing and that's what really excited you. And then you got to the point where, wow, I'm a contributing member of this team. My contributions matter and I make a difference. So, I've loved this conversation. Um, you've brought to us a lot of great insights. Uh, you've mentioned some must-read books. Uh, I think the your recommendation of Covey, I'm right there with you. Um, Hard styles and reading the book above the line. Can you remind us of the authors of that book? Sure. The, the, for, let me give you that book, the two books that I mentioned, and I want to give you two more. Um, the the book above the line is by Stephen and Mara Klemick, K-L-E-M-I-C-H. And I mentioned the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Two books I haven't mentioned um, that have to do with, uh, let's just go with, you know, how I cut my teeth and really, you know, some great lessons. And these books are storybooks. They, they just tell a story about how a manager led and how you can learn just from the story. And so I would point everybody to Ken Blanchard's The One Minute Manager and Leadership in the One Minute Manager. They served me very, very well in the 1980s, and they're still bestsellers. And then when it comes to servant leadership, if you really want to tap into that and explore that, get the book The Servant by James C. Hunter. There you go, four books. And then you, there was five because you mentioned Brene Brown. Oh yeah, I, I yeah, you know what? I didn't. I mentioned her, but that that because I've listened to her TED talks more than I've read her books, so I can't really speak to her books. They they deliver. They they're really well written, and um, I think the 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 topic of vulnerability is like as you'd mentioned, definitely focus of her keynote presentations and all of her TED talks. 
and again of her books and they are just really well done. So the, the resources are abundant out there. And I think a lot of individuals, so I do professional development and I teach uh, black belt training and help individuals become better problem solvers. But, you know, you, you have to go beyond just being curious. You actually have to roll your sleeve up. So if you listen to this episode and it, it fills your cup and it gets you excited, but if you don't take that excitement and convert it into action and go get these books and become a student of this or surround yourself with people who um, are striving to do this as well, I think that's really important is to form a community of people who um, aspire to be this also. If, if you don't spend energy on those two things, you're really not going to grow into this. Would you agree with that, Tom? Kind of, hey, don't just look at it at the surface layer, but do roll your sleeves up and do the learning and surround yourself with mentors that are going to reinforce learning or challenge your thinking. Yeah, I absolutely would agree with it. And um, there's another book by a guy named Jeffrey Pfeiffer called The the Knowledge Information Gap or something, The Knowledge Gap. It has to do with, you know, you could read books one after another after another, but if you don't ever apply the information you learn, um, it's just not the same. It goes back to the, the, the great advice your dad gave you, some things you just have to experience, and you got to do that by doing. Exactly. So I cannot thank you enough for coming on to the episode and helping us drill into the key concepts of servant leadership to learn about resources that allow us to learn more about it. And how once we, you know, embark on this journey to become a servant leader, you know, we will benefit from it selfishly ourselves. But through that, we're going to help maximize others and elevate them and move them closer to self-actualization. And I think that is, you know, really um, important. I I mean, that to me as a leader was probably the, the the greatest accomplishment I ever had was helping to put people in positions to where they realized more of their full potential. Uh, Tom, thank you for having me. It, it definitely was my pleasure. And, uh, you know, I actually remember the name of the book. It's called The Knowing Doing Gap by Jeffrey Pfeiffer. So I'll leave that there and I won't <laughs> add anything more to your session here. Thanks. So, thank you. So before we close, I do want to give you the opportunity to share with you and we'll put it in our show notes for individuals listening to this and who want to collaborate with you to embark on their personal development journey to become a better servant leader or to bring servant leadership principles into their organization. How do, how do they connect with you? So the best way to reach me is to go on to linkedin.com and, and I, you have to go, you have to look for Thomas Korea. And if you see stuff with Blackhawk, you'll know you have the right person. Um, reach out to me there. And if you want to read any of the articles that I've written that I shared or I spoke about, um, I wrote those a couple years ago and uh, you can find them in my article section, but LinkedIn is the best way to reach me. Great. I've enjoyed the conversation. I can't thank you enough for coming on and nerd not with me today. Absolutely. My, my pleasure.